Digital Deep Dive Show with me, Reed Daly. This is episode number six. Today is Friday, December 16th, 2022. And if you are new around here, the Digital Deep Dive Show is all about showcasing incredible technology and the exceptional people building it, using it, and the impact it has on society at large. Before we jump into the show, I want to remind you that all ideas, thoughts are my own. You can like, follow, and subscribe to the show on such fantastic podcast platforms as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now over on YouTube. Uh, You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Across all platforms, we are Digital 3D Show. That is digital and then 3 and then D and then show. It's pretty straightforward. All right, with all that said, let's jump into the show. So the first story we're going to talk about from a national news is the robots are coming. So it was uh, published originally by Reuters uh, a few weeks back, actually. Uh, It was talking about how North American companies snapped up a record number of robots in the first half of this year as they struggled to keep factories and warehouses humming in the face of extremely tight labor markets. Companies ordered a record number of 12,000 machines in the second quarter valued at $585 million, or 25% more than the same period a year ago. Um, more recently, and something that we're not going to talk about in depth on the show this week, but uh, I have seen an uptick in sort of, I'll call it third-party devices that hook to equipment and maintain uh, equipment efficiencies. The, the biggest thing with manufacturing on the, the equipment is obviously you know, the cost and the duration in which you can use that equipment over the lifespan, if you will. But it's also the downtime and monitoring and managing that downtime and actually decommissioning pieces to clean them, to uh, repair them, and to maintain them. So the fact that we're seeing you know, an uptick in purchasing of this equipment means that there's going to be downstream implications in terms of software and analytics required to view them uh, in terms of their data, their uptime, their downtime, and then sort of plan uh, the, uh, the labor around that as well as uh, your inventory from RAWs to, to finished goods. Uh, you're also going to see an uptick in automation. You know, the idea is to move from sort of um, industry 2.0 to 3.0 and then eventually up to 4.0 where everything's done by robotics. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, we're going to see a mass move to industry 4.0 uh, in, uh, in the next you know, couple decades. But uh, it's great to see that we're continuing to see a move to more automated activities Uh, Certainly, I've seen a lot of uptick in the packaging pieces of this. So when the finished good is ready, moving it into uh, packaging or moving the packaging uh, across the assembly line. So you can go check out the Reuters article that provides a little more deep dive into the the spend and how that means in terms of automation and the subsequent... um, my prediction in terms of the ecosystem that will monitor it and, and have to uh, support the increase or move to uh, more machines doing a larger bulk of the work within the factories. All right, so the first story was obviously a little more, I don't want to call it heavy or data heavy. The second story is just plain old fun. So 
unless you've been living under a rock, you do not know that uh, Elon Musk has purchased Twitter and taken it from a publicly traded company to a private company. That's right. So the the richest man, or, or maybe one of the the richest mans, men's, I think he actually lost that title this week, uh, has purchased Twitter, taken it private, and subsequently has done some interesting things. I'm not commenting on his political stance or the motivations. The only thing I want to comment on is the fact that there was a kid uh, that was uh, named Jack Sweeney that was tracking his jet movement, and he had a Twitter handle called Elon Jet. And before Elon um, purchased Twitter, he had actually reached out to Jack, and I think the quote I've read was that he was going to offer him either five thousand or fifty thousand dollars to do this? The fact that he, the uh, Jack was able to just figure this out using publicly available data was pretty interesting and scary. I mean, I don't have private jet money, but if I did, I certainly wouldn't want someone to be tracking my whereabouts, especially if I'm the richest man in the world who's building multiple companies that could likely, um, you know challenge conventional businesses or, or main standing businesses like the car or um, power uh, industries. So not someone that I would want, uh, if I was him, I would not want to be tracked, but I get it. Um, you know, and uh, the fact that he banned it is just sort of interesting in terms of what will be his guiding principle. So I'm, I'm lessing about the fact that he banned it and more about like, where is this headed? So when he took over Twitter, he wanted to talk about free speech. And, uh, you know, what I'm interested in is is the set of guiding principles that he instills with a, a, a governance team. And what does that look like? And how can Twitter evolve? And uh, how can all of these social networks look and kind of, um, quite frankly, steal ideas from each other in terms of best practices across the, the different social platforms and uh, public forums. So, uh, you know, it's these are, are new times with all these social platforms. So to see where that heads will be of interest over the next three to six months. Uh, the third story is talking about Apple sideloading. So, uh, this was reported by Bloomberg, and it's uh, supposedly Apple will allow sideloading in the iOS 17. So uh, I had the opportunity to work for a major carrier uh, as a consultant for about a year. Uh, my, my role there was uh, application uh, management. So essentially you had one team overseeing the physical device, one team seeing the app uh, ecosystem, and one team seeing uh, specific apps themselves. And so the idea was that you would launch a device uh, with you know, a set of apps preloaded. So you would have the OEM apps, you would have the Google apps, and you would have third-party apps that align with the vision for this device. So if it was a rugged device, let's just say you would have maybe outdoor tracking apps and compass apps. Now, that was very much geared towards the uh, Google Play and sort of Android devices. And then for a short-lived time, the Microsoft uh, devices. I can't remember what the Microsoft store was called. But Apple has consistently not preloaded third-party apps, only allowed 
uh, their own apps. And uh, certain people like that, and certain people have had some rub. Certainly the folks over in Europe have had a little bit of rub with the fact that you cannot um, sideload apps. And so what sideloading basically allows you to do is no different than when you're on your computer and you can go to a website and download an app uh, and install it yourself. Um, Apple has blocked that capability. And so what this would allow is for folks to um, basically install their own apps without going through the Apple App Store. So there's good, bad, and questions here. So the good is that you can remove layers of control and add what you want to your device and you can customize it. It is in fact your device. The bad is that Apple App Store provides a set of guidelines and governance that prevents supposed bad actors. And this might allow certain apps with problem codes to be accidentally loaded onto the device. So bad actors trying to do uh, bad things can get greater access to your device and your subsequent data. Uh, the interesting thing here is just how this is ticking and tying to a, a recent uptick in other Silicon Valley leaders complaining about the App Store fee. So when the App Store launched, I think, what was it, 10, 10 years ago, maybe? No, it would have been longer than that. I think it was maybe 12 or 13. Um, they launched a year after the Apple iPhone launched and they said we're going to host your apps we're going to give you a marketing place but we're going to take a 30% uh, VIG or fees uh, from this and so I will be interested to see how sideloading impacts uh, Apple's bottom line Apple typically doesn't do moves unless it's a full ecosystem and it's well thought out and they're in the driver's seat so to speak um, you've seen recent um, complaints about this through um, uh, Zuckerberg, through the team over at Spotify, and then Elon over at Twitter. Elon even saying that if you're going to go through the Apple Store, uh, we're going to charge you $11 for the use of their new Blue service, whereas if you're going through the Google Play Store, it's going to be only $8. And Apple certainly doesn't want to be viewed as, as an increase in price compared to Google for essentially the same service. So, um, you know, this is one of the major uh, changes that European law is forcing down on Apple. The other one is the transition from the current uh, lightning bolt cable to USB-C cable, which I don't understand why Apple, uh, I just don't understand the tech. Uh, you know, it's, it just seems easier to have the USB-C because those cords work with their new devices and seems to be where everyone's moving. So not really sure the the pushback there, but I'm personally excited for the phones to switch from the uh, lightning cable to the um, next up. We're going to talk about Microsoft and how I think they're secretly, not secretly, but they are quietly building a social network. So thanks to technology, they've been able to uh, folks have been able to work from almost anywhere uh, and minimizing non-essential face-to-face appointments. But some things haven't changed in a hybrid work world and our needs for human connections and community continue to evolve. Simply, how you connect and collaborate with people in your life, with communities and teams, the only app you need to organize your friends or family reunions projects or online groups. That is straight from Microsoft's site. So let me just break this down. Uh, Microsoft Teams came out as what I would argue 
a response to Slack. Uh, Microsoft had bet on Yammer to be sort of their social platform, and uh, I've never really adopted the solution. I, I think a lot of the challenges with Yammer was it was way too much like a social media app inside of a company, and if you didn't have the culture around that, and typically the culture is top-down leadership using and adopting that, uh, you know, people weren't really posting on Yammer. It was kind of like, hey, or at least my opinion has always been or observation has been if you're jumping on Yammer all the time and talking about stuff or you doing your job. So in walks, and, and let's, let's exclude Microsoft's acquisition of LinkedIn because I argue that it is much more externally facing than internally facing. So uh, in walks Slack, it's become this fantastic solution in terms of collaborating and real-time messaging and is really, you know, taking the market by storm. And uh, uh, Microsoft's response was the launch of Teams. It came out uh, quietly before COVID and then COVID just accelerated it. And uh, it's become just a fantastic workhorse and the central hub for most of everything I do inside of my company. Now, what Microsoft's trying to do here with communities is take that app you love and presumably could use, and I haven't explored this, but I assume you could use your personal Gmail and use Teams outside of you know, the workforce. And you can basically build communities and microgroups inside of your town and your family. And I sort of like the idea of this because I'm getting a little tired of meta and their use of my data in a multitude of ways and i'm sure you know microsoft's also using my data but it just feels less creepy that someone could have full access to all my family's information and all the pictures i think it always comes back to pictures and family pictures anyway the, the microsoft sort of feels like a more just matter of fact get it done i also like the fact that there's more business oriented tools like Hopefully you could do uh, calendar invites and quick meetings and to-do list. I have not jumped into this. Uh, I'm going to unpack it over the uh, holiday break. But uh, for someone who is sort of getting into that stage of life where their kids are playing uh, more activities and I need to collaborate with my spouse and I need to communicate and collaborate with community members about soccer practice and who's doing what and who's bringing which kids to which events this could be pretty interesting um, I, my guess is that microsoft is slowly going to keep on adding additional features and then eventually you're going to have some sort of profile page so when i start to see a profile page i'll know my hypothesis is correct that the microsoft is kind of quietly building their next social network outside of the uh, linkedin sort of ecosystem Moving from national news to my local market uh, as a Chicagoan, uh, I want to talk about a new company that just uh, recently closed their Series A round, which is Evertes. And I hope I'm saying their, their company name correctly, but uh, essentially they uh, help institutions ensure their crypto investment in the wake of what happened with FTX and, uh, you know, a... Uh, global lens on the crypto market. They claim to be the world's first crypto asset insurance company based not uh, the events that have uh, based uh, on the events that have transpired. Uh, I think more and more people are going to look for some sort of insurance capabilities for their crypto investments. 
they claim to have uh, their own uh, blockchain startup that secures institutions' crypto investments by underwriting their investments. According to the web, uh, company's website, it can ensure theft and loss of crypto assets, mining centers, and equipment, among other risks. Um, what I did is in the show notes, I'm going to put links to their website, and it was actually pretty interesting uh, just for a modern company like this that they have an Instagram and uh, you know Twitter and LinkedIn is pretty normal. But uh, anyway, go check them out. Uh, hats off to the team. Uh, for raising their Series A and looking forward to seeing more on the news about them and uh, their evolving product base and the customers that they serve. All right, so let's jump into the this week's deep dive. So one of the big forecasts coming out of Gartner was that by 2025, 80% of B2B sales interactions between suppliers and buyers will occur in digital channels. And uh, I, I totally agree with that hypothesis. No arguments there. What I did find was there was roughly 10 um, trends that they want to talk about, and a few of those I want to break down. So trend number four is uh, a cookie, cookie-less future. So if you're less familiar, Google is going to be abandoning their cookie process, and uh, Facebook has really pushed back for, for privacy, and all these uh, networks are, are trying to say they're doing it for the good of the, the people, if you will, but I feel like they're all trying to just game, game the system in different ways so that they get access to more of the data for them to monetize it. Regardless of my opinion, um, all of the cookie-less future is going to change the way that we are advertised at, and it'll be interesting to see which uh, companies evolve uh, or come to market to adapt to the new cookie-less future and uh, the different tactics that I will say brands and social media influencers use to attract and engage customers. The other uh, couple trends that I thought was interesting was Gartner continues to push the augmented reality, sorry, the augmented reality one, I actually totally agree with too, that consumers are going to expect markets to seamlessly connect digital experiences with physical stores. I'm thrilled for the day where I'm gonna have some sort of like lens and basically I'm walking around and there's an overlay. So it's not virtual reality, it's augmented reality. And I think that's gonna be really great. The trend that I'm totally like just baffled by is this metaverse. And I'm not talking about just um, Meta's metaverse, but just the fact that younger audience are going into some sort of you know lens device and they are having a virtual or digital uh, you know clone of themselves or a variation of who they want to be in the metaverse. I mean, Ready Player One is the best movie example of that. But uh, I just don't see it yet. I just see this as more of a hobby for the next five, 10 years. I just don't see the world moving in that space anytime soon, uh, especially in the wake of COVID. I know that seems like, hey, we should be going more digital because you know we could be on lockdown again, or I think there's always the fear of that. But I just think people are so tired of being in front of screens and now you're gonna put them even closer to their face and uh, you're gonna have to be in a metaverse for hours on end. It just seems like a lot. I think people want to get out in the world and interact with people you know, in person, in the real world, not the digital world. 
Um, the last two trends that I thought were most interesting were that brands continue to experiment with emerging technologies. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with this. I think brands will continue to explore which channels work best for them, how they can find the right channels that align to their brand, um, you know, uh, not aesthetics, but their brand mission and kind of like what their brand is about. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's going to be a continued trend we will see for, the, you know, the future to come that brands will continue to look at when a new social media platform or a new sort of digital tool comes out. Do I want to use this? Does it provide a competitive advantage to me? Does this align to where my customers are? In sort of a similar fashion, trend number 10 was that multi-format content. And I'd argue that it's not only just multi-format comment, uh, but the fact that it's different types of um, content on those formats. So I think many of these uh, you know, um, tools, I'll use Twitter, I'll use Instagram, um, I'll use uh, Facebook, in fact, uh, continue, and even YouTube, continue to evolve from what they start out being to what they become in terms of, you know, is it long-form content, short-form content, is it wide, is it tall in terms of your phone and orientation. Uh, the one thing I will talk about was the fact that it seems that every time a new platform comes out, whoever is sort of first to market and can cement themselves as a leader, thought leader, content leader on those platforms typically wins out in the long run. Certainly there's people that can move from one platform to the other, but it's usually, um, you know, first in. Uh, it seems to be who wins on certain platforms. And one of the biggest things about jumping onto a new platform is you're able to build an audience, and I would argue a digital community. And uh, one of the, the pieces of data that I've been really interested in is how do we move from, or is there a, a macro shift from just amplification? So that's just noise out, right? I am posting on Twitter, I am posting on Reddit, I'm posting on blogs, I'm posting on LinkedIn, or are you actually engaging with your community? I know that I've fallen victim of this through my job and through my experience where it's just amplification out and it's really not about engagement. And we talked about with the Microsoft communities how they are trying to build sort of a mini ecosystem of you know, communities within your town or community, so community and community. But um, how younger audiences um, want to have more control over the data and kind of like what's going on on their platforms. And uh, one of the um, trends and, and kind of reports that I, I found very interesting was Brandwatch a Consumer Report that came out. And it really talked about the volume of online mentions about digital communities and brands and how that there was a significant uptick in 2022 compared to 2021 and 2020 uh, for folks, you know, looking for digital communities. And you've seen uh, apps like Be Real and Gas, and I think Be Real is probably the best example of looking for like more of an authentic experience. And I think that's what communities is really trying to drill into is that sort of authentic um, experience and connections. And I know more recently I've been deliberate on social media about not just amplification, but connecting with people. Uh, namely, you know, just personally, I'm looking for 
folks that can help me in different explorations like um, I am really interested in getting more into wine and that's just on a personal note is in the same lane that I'm interested in traveling more so I'm following more uh, sort of influences that talk about travel and travel experiences and then wine because it's just where I want to spend my time and energy learning about those things and then visiting new places. So um, with that said, I, I do want to highlight the fact that uh, thanks to the, uh, the founder of Waze, whose name I'm totally blanking on right now, and Scott Galloway, who was an investor among others, um, I'm jumping over to Post News. It's a new Twitter alternative, not to say that I'm departing Twitter, but I'm exploring what they are bringing to market with their new solution. Um, I've signed up for an account. You can find me at post.news forward slash read daily. And uh, you can see, uh, you know, I'll be posting on there and sort of tracking and seeing what the difference is between um, <clears throat> the engagement on Twitter versus post news and kind of what the ecosystem looks like and if there's going to be more of a community lens. Based on the materials I've read, it's going to be more news oriented or there's going to be a skew towards news content creators almost like a micro publishing sort of solution but uh you know early days on that platform um but uh yeah it will be cool to see um over time all right that wraps it up for episode number six of the digital deep dive show don't forget to uh, download and subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. you can also listen to it on youtube all handles are digital 3d show you can check us out on instagram and twitter uh, digital 3d show as well on both uh, those platforms don't forget to check me out on my new post.news social handle and uh, i hope everyone enjoys uh, a very cold wintry sort of holiday feeling weekend if you're stateside if you are international. I hope you're having a great time. And for everyone tuning in around the world, uh, let's go World Cup. I'm not telling you who I'm rooting for, but uh, let's just say I'm excited for a big, fantastic, spectacular game. Let's see if France can repeat or if Messi and Argentina can take the crown. And with that said, Enjoy your weekend. We'll catch you next week on the Digital Deep Dive Show. Thank you.